Welcome to China in Context. I'm Duncan Bartlett. China takes pride in being a permanent member of the world's most prestigious committee, the United Nations Security Council. The Council's responsibility is daunting to maintain peace and security throughout the world. One striking condition of membership is that a representative of each of the five countries on the panel, including China, must be present at all times at the UN's headquarters in New York City, ready to be summoned immediately in the event of a crisis. The mood on the UN's P5 Council, as it's known, is often fractious, with China and Russia on one side, at loggerheads with Britain, France and the United States on the other. Today we're going to talk about how China views its role at the United Nations, and we'll also consider the relationship between the UN and Taiwan, which has been a fraught issue for diplomats for more than half a century. I'm very pleased to welcome to the podcast a real expert on international relations and the Asia-Pacific, Bonnie S. Glazer. She's the director of the Asia Programme at the German Marshall Fund of the United States, and she joins us on the line today from Washington, D.C. Bonnie, welcome to China in Context. It's great to have you with us. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a delight to be on your podcast. And I'd just like to acknowledge before we dive into the questions that I admire the excellent podcast that you present called China Global. My colleagues at SOAS really value it as a source of information and as a forum of discussion. Well, thank you for plugging my podcast. I hope to get some more listeners. Bonnie, can I start with a question about the Ukraine war? Can you give us your perspective on the way in which China's been acting at the United Nations since the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Well, we saw in February 26 um, that uh, when there was a, a resolution that would have demanded Moscow stop its attack on Ukraine and withdraw its troops, uh, that China abstained. 11 of the uh, council's 15 members voted in, in favor of, of that text. And then on, uh, on March 2nd, uh, the General Assembly's vote to denounce the attacks uh, ordered by Vladimir Putin was 141 in favor, five opposed, and, and 35 abstentions, including uh, China. Uh, there, there was another vote in late March where China cast the sole supporting vote in favor of a draft resolution by Russia that called attention to the humanitarian crisis in Ukraine. It was a bit of a cynical resolution, I'd say, um, because it failed to even mention Russia's role uh, as the aggressor um, and all other uh, countries abstained. Uh, so uh, China's behavior uh, at the UN, uh, I think, has been aimed at protecting its own interests, and, and those are to preserve its relations with Russia, uh, to uh, uphold territorial integrity and sovereignty, which has always been a set of important principles uh, in Chinese foreign policy, um, and to prevent uh, any any major uh, deterioration in its uh, in its relationship with uh, with the West. Well, thanks. That's a great bit of analysis to start us off. President Biden has framed the Ukraine invasion as a fight between democracies and autocrats. Is this a fight which is being played out at the United Nations or is that too simplistic an interpretation? 
Well, I, I think it probably is too simplistic. Uh, not all countries uh, that are um, unwilling uh, to criticize Russia at the UN are autocracies. Uh, the world doesn't, doesn't neatly divide into uh, democracies and, and autocracies. So I think it's actually quite complicated. Well, you heard Xi Jinping speak recently of an ironclad or rock-solid relationship with Vladimir Putin. Did it then come as any surprise to you that Russia and China hunkered down as partners at the UN? Well, no, it really didn't surprise me at all that Russia and China were in close alignment. We've seen that relationship uh, grow closer uh, over the last few years. Uh, it was not until February 4th, just on the eve of the Olympics, that the two leaders signed this over 5,000 word joint statement. And that was a wake up call, I think, for a lot of countries. But China and Russia have often aligned their votes uh, at the United Nations. Uh, I would cite, for example, 2011, uh, China and Russia were the only two countries on the Security Council that vetoed a resolution condemning Syria for its violent crackdown against pro-democracy protesters um, and, uh, and calling for an immediate end to human rights abuses. And, and then in 2019, China and Russia together vetoed a UN resolution on, uh, again on Syria to block cross-border aid deliveries from Turkey and Iraq to millions of Syrian civilians. So there is quite a long history of China and Russia voting together in the UN. Well, I said at the start that China's been on the UN Security Council for decades, but this overlooks a key historical point. It was Taiwan, officially known as the Republic of China, which held the UN-China seat until 1971, when it was replaced by the People's Republic of China. That's Communist China. How does that impact Taiwan's status now at the UN? Does it have any voice there at all? Well, Taiwan has very, very little voice uh, at the United Nations, primarily because Beijing blocks its participation. Uh, and, and Taiwan years ago was seeking membership in the UN, but uh, under uh, Tsai Ing-wen in recent years, and also under her predecessor, uh, uh, Ma Ying-jeou, Taiwan has only been seeking meaningful participation in the UN. And, and that goal aligns very closely with the policies of the United States and the EU. I recently watched a video about the time when the People's Republic of China was admitted to the UN back in 1971, in the face of considerable opposition from America. And one of the commentators on that film described it as the greatest defeat for the United States in the history of the United Nations. I imagine it's a defeat the Chinese have been rather relishing ever since. Yes, I think I'd completely agree with you. For China, the United Nations is the, is the central part of the international system. It is the place where it sits on the most important decision-making body. It is a member of the UN Security Council, and it wants to use that role to promote uh, change in the system of global governance. In fact, uh, in 2018, uh, Xi Jinping publicly said that China should lead global governance reform. Uh, this is a huge ambition of Xi Jinping's. We will see this carry over to his third term, which he is likely to get this fall at the, at the 20th Party Congress. 
and uh, ensuring that the UN Security Council is based on the norms and the values and the standards and the practices that um, align with Chinese interests, I think is a very high priority for China. Well, it's interesting. I was listening to what uh, Zhang Jun, um, China's representative to the United Nations, was saying after being uh, in a meeting with uh, President Zelensky from Ukraine. He talked about other countries adding fuel to the fire. And, and he was very against the uh, concept of imposing more sanctions on Russia. What was going on there, do you think? Well, China has always opposed sanctions, uh, especially because it was targeted early on uh, by sanctions in June of 1989 after the massacre uh, in Tiananmen Square and the crackdown on the protesters. Uh, China will support at times UN sanctions, uh, although it has not enforced them um, uh, very strictly in the case of North Korea, but it did vote in favor of them. Uh, but those are UN sanctions. They are mandated by the United Nations. Any sanctions that are created and imposed by an individual country, a group of countries that the Chinese describe as long arm jurisdiction, and they oppose them very strongly. The reference to adding fuel to the fire, I think really means not only sanctions, but also the provision of weapons um, to the Ukrainian resistance. And the Chinese are trying to distort the idea that the war was started as a result of NATO enlargement, uh, that it is the fault of the United States and NATO, uh, that Russia has legitimate security interests that should have been addressed, and therefore uh, the United States and its allies should not be exacerbating this war by providing arms uh, to the Ukrainians. In other words, there would be a ceasefire if we would just stop uh, providing arms today. Well, I think you've summarized the Chinese position very uh, astutely there. I just make one other observation. The Chinese say that they're on the side of justice, fairness, uh, and they're against people having to choose sides between the Russians and the Ukrainians. What do you make of that rhetoric? Well, I think that uh, China has certainly chosen sides. It tries to hide behind a veil of neutrality. But the reality that is that China has taken a very pro-Russian stance um, in this war. Uh, and the recommendations by some people that China would be an effective mediator, I think, is just laughable. Uh, China uh, is not an objective uh, bystander in this war. Uh, it does not want to see Russia lose or be defeated. A weakened Russia would not be in China's interest. Um, although the Chinese also don't want to see Ukraine in any way swallowed up by another country, because again, they support territorial integrity and sovereignty. Uh, so China uh, is, is likely to push for an end to the war. The war itself does not benefit China, but it wants to see an outcome in which um, Russia's interests are protected as well, and NATO does not continue to expand to Russia's borders or potentially lead to the creation of what they call an agent NATO in their own backyard. Well, I heard President Zelensky's frustration very clearly when he addressed the UN. He really said, what's this body for? And I could understand that from his perspective, uh, seeing Russia and China on one side and the US, the UK on, and, and France on the other, 
uh, must have made him wonder what on earth he was doing, making an address to these uh, these five different countries together. But in the long term, what do you think is the likelihood of a change in the makeup of the UN Security Council? Are Russia and China on there forever? And it's a very interesting question. I was reading an article uh, just yesterday in which a Chinese analyst was describing some of the long-term impacts of the war in Ukraine. And one of the potential developments that he identified was accelerating the process of a UN Security Council reform, that there would be a perception that the UN had once again uh, been um, uh, irrelevant um, and unable to protect the cause of regional and global security. And that might mobilize uh, countries to push for Security Council reform. And as you know, there are proposals um, on the table, but uh, you know, the, the existing members, as we all know, including the United States and China, um, as well as of course, um, Russia uh, and, uh, and, and, and France, are the, they're not eager to, and the UK, which not forget the UK, are not eager to let other countries into this exclusive club. Uh, so, for example, one of the proposals is Brazil, Germany, India, and Japan put forward a proposal to expand the membership of the Council to include them and two states from the African group as uh, permanent members. And the non-permanent seats on the Council would increase to 14. The overall um, UN Security Council then would have uh, 25 members. And then there's another proposal that involves creating a new category of semi-permanent members um, and then the veto power of uh, some of the permanent members might be limited on a case-by-case -case basis. So countries have uh, been considering this for years and come up with these ideas, but none of the proposals um, has the unanimous support of the permanent members. Um, and I think would not be able to garner the support of two thirds of the member states, which is necessary in order uh, for it to uh, become uh, implemented. So I myself am, am rather pessimistic about the prospects for UN Security Council reform. Okay, well, those very sensible proposals sound as though they're very theoretical at the moment. Thank you, Bonnie. I feel that I'd like to have you by my side as I listen to the deliberations at the United Nations. I'm sure that I could learn a great deal from your expert commentary. That was Bonnie Glazer, presenter of the China Global Podcast and director of the Asia Programme at the German Marshall Fund of the United States. This podcast is produced by the SOAS China Institute, part of the University of London, and you can find out more about our courses and research at soas.ac.uk. But for now, that's all from us here at the China in Context podcast team.